overheard this conversation between two ladies. There's nothing to do in Phoenix. There's no culture here. So I was just looking at it like, what, what do you like to do that you can't find anything? Welcome to the 12th episode of On the Grid, a podcast dedicated to the Valley of the Sun. This podcast is a place where you can come to meet the creators and newsmakers taking this metropolis to the next level. A place where you can learn about what's really happening in Phoenix. My name is Philip Haldeman, and I'll be your host. On this episode of On the Grid, I'll be interviewing myself. And by that, I mean a man named Russ Kazmierzak. But more on that later. Russ is bringing late-night comedy and the cool kids of the valley to his desk. For the last year, he's been putting up Phoenix Tonight at Space 55 in downtown Phoenix. It's a monthly late-night talk show. Think Johnny Carson or David Letterman, complete with desk-side interviews, musical performances, and any other variety of acts. He's been compiling an impressive collection of Arizona A-listers, and on February 11th, he will be celebrating 12 consecutive months of shows. A man of many talents, he also has been producing a Phoenix-centric comic book for a number of years now. Russ, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Totally want to talk about Phoenix tonight, because that's your big project right now. But let's kind of just kind of lay the groundwork. You grew up most of your life here in Phoenix, right? That's right. I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Apparently, it's a, a big ghetto. So I was born in the ghetto. I could I could claim that and get some street cred. But we moved here when I was eight. We moved to Peoria, Arizona. Did you move here because you wanted to get out of the ghetto? I or? did. I uh, I had written all of the lyrics I could think of on the city buses around Bridgeport <laughs> in a little uh, notebook. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, my family just moved here, slowly migrated. My aunts and uncle, uncles, my grandparents, then we did uh, move to Peoria, not a ghetto, mm-hmm. um, and grew up there. Went to uh, Centennial High School. Okay, and, uh, and so um, you, have you always been an artist, or like a? I mean, have you always been drawing? Cause oh yeah, you produce comic books. That's, what, I that's do. something you've been doing for a long time. You've got um, amazing Arizona comic books. That's been you've been doing that for a long time. That's right. Uh, yeah, amazing Arizona comics started in 2010, but I've always drawn. Right. Um, ever since I was a kid, we were talking about He-Man before we started recording. So uh, those He-Man action figures came with mini comics, and I would create my own little He-Man mini comics. Give them to my uh, my grandma or whatever. Um, so yeah, I've always drawn. I probably took a break from drawing in my teens, um, just disinterested. You know, like we all go through those phases where right. I would rather sit in front of my boombox and brood, and then uh, return to it when I went to college. And uh, yeah, just kind of casually sketched and drew ideas. I had a buddy in California that would draw scripts I wrote. Oh. Um, and when I moved back here in 2010, like I said, and started this mini comic series. I really started drawing my own stories, like, full-fledged. Is that where kind of uh, production of comic books started coming into your life a little bit? Or Yeah, uh, he, was a, he was a college friend, and we, um, we would meet at uh, Arby's or late-night diners. I would uh, give him a script, or we'd brainstorm ideas. He would uh, go home and draw them, and then present me with pages later. So it was kind of professional in, in its process uh, in that way. Um, I wasn't particular about the, the page layout or anything. I would just write panel one, so-and-so walks into a room, says this, whatever. And he would interpret that uh, through his own visual style. And I liked that process a lot. I kind of miss it. But at the same time, um, since the stories I'm writing now are so local and, and almost literally sometimes in my own backyard, there's nobody else that could draw them. Uh, so the, the uh, illustrative aspect of what I'm doing now with Amazing Arizona Comics is more by necessity 
than even uh, ability. But you're so. like the one man gang. You're like the one man gang on that. My brother point. colors it. Okay. So um, and and that's just to help speed things along because oftentimes the stories are quote unquote ripped from the headlines. Okay. So I'll uh, I'll pencil and ink a page, scan it, and send it to him. Sometimes I'll letter it as he's coloring it and drop the drop the text onto the page, or just do that when he sends the page back to me. But uh, yeah, we have a nice uh, camaraderie going with that. Cool. Right now. Good collaboration. Yeah, the collaboration is fun. As you, you know that I have a comic book and the, yeah. one of the things that I like about it is the collaboration. Sure. And holding this thing in your hands that did not exist a yeah. week, two weeks, a month ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? Yeah. And so uh, tell a little bit about like the com- the content of your comic. Like what's it about? It is uh, basically a superhero satire of Arizona news, history, and culture. So when I moved back to uh, Arizona in 2010, I lived in California. I went to college and had some career there. I moved had back. Had some career, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little... Uh, what did you go to sc- uh, school for? Uh, child development, actually. Okay. So I worked in nonprofit for a long time, okay. after school programs and stuff. But the cost of living in California, oh, boy, as yeah. you know... Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and you're working in nonprofit. Right. So you're, pre- you're making no money and living in... Uh, the one place in America that requires the most money. Just when, <laughs> right, exactly. It, it, Governor Schwarzenegger said that when the uh, citizen, wake, citizen wakes up in uh, in California, as soon as he opens his eyes, he's being taxed. As soon as he <laughs> flushes his toilet, he's being taxed. So uh, that was pretty uh <laughs> You're like, I'm out of here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That made, yeah, that, that made so sense to me, even though I could barely understand it. What brought you back to Phoenix then, just because family? Uh, cost of living, you, yeah. family. Um, a buddy of mine had a, a business he had purchased out in Tempe, wanted some help with marketing. Okay. Um, so I joined him him in that in that venture what year was that 2010 okay literally, so you moved back uh, from california yeah. and what made you start getting into the comic book well i had been self-publishing with my buddy and uh i wanted to continue that but again i had to draw i knew i had to draw it myself because he had started a family and and was pursuing his own projects as well so just by way of geography and life uh i i knew there were i wanted to draw something but i didn't know what um i figured arizona related would make it somewhat niche and cool so I had that in mind, especially one night when I was watching CNN. I was kind of pining for California and feeling like, okay, I miss being in the, the center of the universe. Yes. All the, the Kardashians live there. Everything comes out of there. For better or so, for worse. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. So uh, I was watching CNN one night, or maybe Fox News, I don't remember, just some cable news. And uh, Joe Arpaio was on talking about SP 1070. That was the big headline. And it occurred to me, and I knew him by name, but I hadn't experienced him as an adult resident mm-hmm. of, of Phoenix. So oh. I was exp- I was experiencing him as my sheriff for the first time. That's so funny. And uh, yeah, you can imagine then because you know I knew his name when I was a kid in the nineties. Right. Well, whatever. I was just talking about this yeah. about Sheriff Joe. He's twenty four years, I think, has been. Uh, he's ninety two. Like we were trying to figure out who was the sheriff before Sheriff Joe. Right. I couldn't you know? even tell you. And it's funny right? to say that I couldn't even tell you. But obviously, he's a he's a, a divisive uh, person in Arizona. And really iconic. So was that sort of the impetus? Like, yeah, when was I was he like issue one or whatever. Oh yeah, he, he's okay, on the yeah. first page of issue one because nice. as I was watching the news and he was talking about SP 1070, it occurred to me that if Commissioner Gordon from Batman were real, <laughs> he would be like Sheriff Joe, perhaps not by way of politics, but by way of persona, right. as the representation of law and order in a metro city area. Right. Um, and he would galvanize folks. People would either love him or hate him. Um, what's that big light on the roof of police headquarters? Well, that's none of your business. Oh, my God. I mean, you could see Arpaio doing okay. something like Absolutely. that. So I thought if, uh, I mean, and he did with uh, Steven Seagal and his celebrity posse, Shaq. It's these... very comic book. I mean, it's Absolutely. like the medium's perfect for him. And know? the only thing missing was superheroes. That's literally what I thought is if you just gave Arpa- Sheriff Arpaio superheroes, the comic would, would write itself. And that first issue did. 
Mm. Um, I created a character called Speed Cameron. Oh, um, that's another story. I was driving down the freeway late one night after a, a karaoke outing, and uh, I was the designated driver, and I was going what I thought was a conservative 65 on the 17 between Bethany Home and Indian School. I got flashed not once, not twice, but thrice by uh, speed cameras because the limit there is 55, just in that little two, three-mile expanse. And being oh a relatively goodness. new driver to Arizona, right. again, I left right after high school graduation, and I wasn't driving then. So, uh, yeah, I was like, what are these bright lights? It was like special effects from a movie. Totally. So from that, I developed Speed Cameron. Oh, okay. He's a living Speed Camera. He, he's like a Flash. He's a character in... In my comic, yeah. yeah. And he's um, he's like a Flash character. He has super speed. But the, the explanation is that he, too, was once flashed by a Speed Camera while also getting struck by lightning. So in natural comic book science, he becomes one with the speed camera and has the lightning fast reflexes of a speed camera nice. because it has to be fast to catch speedsters going right. down the street. So that's the general idea. So he's the he's the main protagonist. He was working for Sheriff Joe on uh, in the first issue. And when I got those three tickets, like within a month's time, Governor Brewer said, you know what? Nobody's paying these because mm -hmm. when you get that thing in the mail, it's not the ticket. It's just like you could get a ticket if somebody serves you. And you have to pay that. Like, I read the fine print. And I was like, oh, okay. So I just, like everybody else, threw them away. As a result, Governor Brewer said, nobody's paying these tickets. We can't afford these cameras. Shut them down and get them off the streets. So on the first page of issue one, Speed Cameron storms into Sheriff Joe's office and says, that's my beat. So yes. what am I supposed to do now? You know, that's my jurisdiction. And uh, Arpaio says, you know what? There's a McDonald's uh, that, that I've heard is hiring illegals go round them up for me <laughs> and that had just happened too he raided a mcdonald's in uh scottsdale oh, okay. i think it was in 2010 um or late 2009 somewhere in that so that was a story so all of these things sb 1070 immigration raids uh, the speed cameras they all just kind of congealed into a story of a superhero created by the speed cameras going on an immigration raid and then uh, eventually developing his own philosophy that that was different from sheriff joe's and going off on his own finding other superhero friends in the valley nice. and going on their adventures. Sometimes crossing paths with Sheriff Joe or Governor Brewer, sometimes just experiencing other aspects of Arizona culture. But it's been a great way to yeah. like familiarize myself as an adult with the, the state I grew up in and like appreciate it. its its rich history and the way it influences the country today. I love it because, unlike you, I, I think you said like it's not. It really kind of fits in a, a, a niche. The, well, it created a niche in a way. I don't know of many other like satirical Arizona uh, centric comic books out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> there may be a few, but I mean to say I, I, I like to say I do rip them. The stories are ripped from the yeah, headlines. Right. So if I see something that's really kooky or crazy in the news. Um, again, sometimes it's just a superhero away from being a comic book story. So you just drop nice. the superhero in and the rest of it writes itself. So, Well, I'm going to keep you in mind next time I write a kooky story for the newspaper. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> Seriously. Um, no, I really love that. I just love that. I just love that it's like uh, just really Phoenix based, you know, it's Arizona based, I guess. So Sheriff Joe's not in every episode. No, and especially but, now that but he's Speed Cameron is, though, right? Speed Cameron is in every issue. He okay. is the, the, the yeah, seminal nice. character, the okay. flagship character. But other characters are uh, June Monsoon, <laughs> um, the Dust Devil, the Snowbird. Um, and there are, there are characters in every major city. So down toward Tucson, we have Picacho Pete. Okay. He's the, the protector of Picacho Peak. Um, the Bisbee Hippie is down in, in Bisbee. 
Because uh, Bisbee is the tenth friendliest city to hippies in the country. It's pretty friendly, right here in. It's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, up in Flagstaff, we have Mother Road, the protector of Route sixty six. Um, Smoky is in uh, Prescott, named after the the Native Americans in the area. So the Smoky Historical Museum that's up there. Um, How's so, the response been? I mean, we've been doing it since 2010, so... The first... You know? Yeah, I, I think I made 100 copies of the first issue. <laughs> um, I sold them pretty quickly, to be okay. fair. Uh, at a buck or two apiece, I would uh, set up at shops like uh, Evermore Nevermore was in downtown Mesa at the time. Uh, Atomic Comics was uh, there on Country Club Road in Mesa. Uh, and I just found events, art walks, wherever, set up. Folks liked that that niche. Mm-hmm. Um they related to it and and bought the book. So the the sales of that first issue funded the next one, right. and that's really how it's been ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, at a, at a steady clip, folks either find uh, or rediscover the book when they see me at these events and pick up where they left off or buy a new issue, and it keeps it going. So. That's the cool thing, because um, the other thing about it is you've you've gotten been a really good job of getting it out there into comic book shops. Where can somebody pick this up at? They know? could find it in the Valley at uh, Drawn to Comics in Glendale, Ash Avenue Comics in Tempe, uh, Wasted in Cuisine Distro in downtown Phoenix. So that basically covers east, west, and middle. <laughs> there are other shops that carry it, like Samurai Comics, uh, Jesse James Comics, um, up in Flagstaff, actually, uh, mm-hmm. Cab Comics carries it um i've sent a few copies down to tucson fantasy comics down there um charlie's comics so uh, they're out and about but i try to exhibit or set up tables i set up a table at places that are a little unconventional for uh for comics like last night for first friday i was at bonus round which is a a barcade basically a bar with arcade games and great response there just again because it's different you know the people are out for a drink they want to play some video games steal that idea from you sure well as as you should it's people are in a nostalgic mindset mm -hmm. at a place like that and so they come over and and see these handmade yeah absolutely so uh they come over and see these handmade comics and maybe they remember either doing that as a kid or they want to kind of pick up something that's different from the mainstream uh yeah people people buy in cool no that's a smart idea to do it in non kind of comic book Venues, right, right. Well, because I would like to be known as the comic book guy. Right. I think anybody that totally. makes comics in the Valley, and there are quite a few of us, we all would like to be known as the comic book people. When you're in the room, hey, that's the comic book guy. So what better way to do that than to be the only comic book guy in the room? Exactly. I mean, I could set up at a shop or a Comic-Con, Super smart, yeah. and I'll be one of hundreds or if not thousands mm-hmm. of people um, that's make that's making his own comic. But if I'm in a record shop or at Bookman's or an art walk where there's you know sculpture and paintings and more traditional fancy classy art but there's this guy over there with these comics and zines at a buck or two a pop even if somebody just want you know a lot of people want that keepsake from events they go to like that and you can buy the the 500 you know 12 by 12 canvas painting over there or these two dollar comics that your kids might even like right so they'll drop a couple bills easily you know what i mean like you have a website I do. It's uh, just AmazingArizonaComics.com. Okay. And Instagram, too, at AmazingAZComics. How have you seen, like, kind of the zine slash comic book scene? Like, compare that to when you maybe, when you were younger, or even, like, when you came back from college. You sure. You know what I mean? Like... When I, um, when I was young, growing up in Peoria, Mill Avenue was like a myth to us. Like, uh, over there in the east of Tempe, the college kids. So when one of us could drive, one of the first things we did was we shot out to Mill Avenue. Go to Coffee Plantation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God, yeah. yes. But that trek to, you know, Mill Avenue was something like everybody, like, that grew up in the, like, 90s or whatever did. Because yeah. I was on the west side, too. And, you know, yeah, 16, 17 years old, you're driving oh, out there. You spend, like, 
you can't drink, right. you know. So you're going to be at the coffee plantation yep. most of the night. You Absolutely, know? we would walk yeah. up and down the street, laugh at the the street preachers, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes debate with a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I bring this up only because it felt like in my romanticized memories of it that there were zines everywhere, like um, just literally on the street. You would you would walk around and just pick up, and and the genre would would vary from religious to um, really kooky and anarchist to just poetry and literature. That was my first real exposure to zines was on, mm. one, on Mill Avenue. In and that school? would be one of the things we'd do yeah. when we'd go there is we're on the hunt for zines, you know, because folks would leave them at the plantation or wherever. When I moved to California, I was near a, a record shop in Fullerton called Bionic, and they had like a uh, Bionic Records, and they had a zine rack. Some of them were free. Some of them were a buck or two. So that kind of kept the kept the fire burning right? for my, my passion for these like self-published things. When I moved back here, um, I had a, and I still have like a pretty hearty zine collection, a, a culmination of all of that stuff. And I didn't know where to go, how to find them. I mentioned Ash Avenue to you earlier, and that uh, that shop uh, was kind of my go-to uh, near Mill, but Mill was a little more commercial and clean mm-hmm. at that point. So uh, yeah, I, did, I, I found my safe haven of zines. Uh, cool. Here they are on the rack there, and uh, still do to this day. Although Wasted Ink Zine Distro, like I said, um, is exclusively zines. Um, and I think the only one, if not in the city, then in the whole state. Um, and then other other than that, then just the shows going to, um, I went to the Small Press Expo in Maryland a couple years ago, Alternative Press Expo in San Francisco. Wow. They, uh, the ladies that have Wasted Ink Zine Distro Roland did a, a Phoenix Zine show, Phoenix Zine Fest here Right, uh, that's what I'm saying. Ago. Now you're starting to see festivals. and coming back, It yeah. seems like there's been a... a Kind of, I don't know about a renaissance, but certainly, certainly growth there. Absolutely, you know. And I think after the last election, that will only grow exponentially. If you know what I mean, totally. <laughs> I think there's going to be a uh, an wonder... artistic backlash nice. that will benefit yeah. those of us that are not only making it, but you know, that consume it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that sense of like, I just went to grab a beer before an event, and there was this free comics newspaper there, and they were like, they were graphic reactions to the inauguration and Trump in general. Uh, mostly from from female artists, but there were a few uh, from male and, and other diverse artists in there. And uh, I got that rush of like, I'm just finding this. I didn't come here for this. I didn't know it was going to be cool, here. Yeah. And I sat there drinking a beer, reading these comics. And uh, it was a cool feeling. That's a so, good yeah, find, yeah. I hope that's the beginning of, of more to come. And you don't have, um, in terms of the, your comic book, I mean, have you ever gotten bored of it? Like, because you've done it for a while now. Like, have you wanted to do something wow. else? Um, if I, yeah, every now and then I'll, I'll self-publish a, a zine or a karaoke comics as kind of a, an alternative, which is like, you know, uh, autobiographical tales of adventures in karaoke. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, because but, also tell listeners that you that you uh, are karaoke host. I am. Too, I'm a KJ, so. karaoke Ricky. jockey. Yeah. Nice, yes. <laughs> and uh, that's relatively recent, too. But I've I've sung kar- at karaoke places um, since uh, God for 15 years now. So yeah. yeah, I've always wanted to host it and be the facilitator of the night for people. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a nice <laughs> it's segue fun. into, into, uh, Phoenix tonight. You know oh, what I mean? Cause you. that's kind of like what, like you're hosting both in both situations. Sure. Sure. You know? So Phoenix tonight is basically like, like, you know, standard, uh, you know, like tonight show fair, Johnny Carson. Yep. Standard like, like that, like, um, how did that? Because you started that. Actually, I was the first guest. You were the you were on the very first so show. I want to say that was about a year ago too, wasn't it? It was a year ago, um, March. Yeah. March fifth, okay. two thousand sixteen was the first episode. So, how did you get into that? 
It started um, one day at my local coffee shop. I was sitting, <laughs> uh, enjoying a, a, a cup of joe and drawing my comic, which I should answer, I do never, I never get bored of. So <laughs> just uh, totally we that. put a linchpin in that. Yeah. Because uh, I could see that headline tomorrow. Artist bored with self-published Oh, work. sorry. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't mean to imply. <laughs> no, not at all. Not like... at all. Um, but it is a good segue to this yeah. because, so um, I was sitting there drawing as I, as I often do. And I overheard this conversation between two ladies, and it wasn't the first time I had overheard a conversation like this at a place like that. And it was basically, there's nothing to do in Phoenix. There's no culture here. And I was just aghast in my own little bubble to be hearing this, because I'm drawing a comic that I'm going to self-publish and sell it, comic and zine shops. I'm going to exhibit it at barcades and record stores and comic cons, all right here, in, all within a five-mile radius of where this lady's saying there is no culture. On top of that, I, uh, you know, I read and write poetry. Uh, so I could, I could tell you where there are five poetry yeah, readings this right, month. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, bands and, and performers and comedians. So I was just looking at her like, what, what do you like to do that you can't find anything? Um, and so it got me thinking like, okay, <laughs> is there any way I, in my own little way, um, just as I'm exploiting Arizona culture in my comic, mm-hmm. exploit... The, the, the talents of my many friends. Because, again, I know comedians, poets, folks that in, inspire me all the time. You're basically telling the story of my podcast. Our podcast oh, so basically, I, I, no doubt. Yeah. And I'm sure it's one that we share with a you lot of other people. I just want to say, hey, back when we were younger, there was still... There wasn't as much stuff to do, but there was still... You just had to look harder. Right. Now, you don't have to look that hard at all. Right. You know? There's it, stuff going on all the time. But you still got to look. And clearly, yeah. these two ladies... And again, I've heard this conversation often. I've overheard it a lot, where it's just like, there's nothing to do here. And I, one of these days, I'm going to get the gumption to say, what do you like to do? Because mm. if it's go out and drink, that's you're probably already doing that. And there are a lot of great places to do that in town. But if you want a little culture you're going to have to find something that isn't a spot you would normally drive to. You're not going to see it driving down Scottsdale Road. You're going to have to go behind. You know what I mean? Like right. you, when you're driving down, uh, you know, Central to get to Il Postino or something like that, you're going to have to take a left on Roosevelt. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're going to have to figure something out. Where You're going to have to look this way or look left or look right. right you know, right. Like... And that's a real pedestrian way of, of, of motivating people. But yeah, man, it's just like, what are you looking for? What do you want to do? And ultimately, uh, will you be able to find anything that satisfies you? So you have right, to offer that variety. Because, uh, yeah, somebody might say, well, you know, I just want to go to a really cultured poetry reading. And then they go to one, and it, it's not... They're just not satisfied. Yeah. They're just never going to be happy. Yeah, they'll never be happy with it. Everybody here is so stuffy. and uh. So, you know, that guy rhymed. One of them <laughs> rhymed. Uh. So, um, so anyway, I got, I got to thinking about that. And I've long been a fan of late-night talk shows. I, I got Carson at the very end, obviously. But I got him. I still got him. And then uh, that segued to a love of Letterman. And I watched him religiously every night. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Craig Ferguson, when he would... I actually watched Tom Snyder after Letterman. And from 12 to 15 years old, or however young I was watching Tom Snyder, I can't say he ever actually entertained me. But I still watched him because right. it was different. It was a dark room, two old men. It was talking. a little more intellectual, maybe a little more adulty, I guess. Yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like they weren't um, dropping televisions off of fucking the tenth story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they weren't playing. They weren't playing like "Will it float? Will it float?" Yeah, there was no. <laughs> is this something or is this Thank nothing? You, Paul on Schaefer, yes. Yeah. Right? So uh, uh, I would watch Snyder, and then Conan, of course, of broke course, yeah. and uh, loved him. Arsenio Hall too, actually. I mean, just. 
All of them. I watched all of them. Leno even. Was Carson your favorite? Or I, I, I'm not going to lie and say yes because I was too young to appreciate who he was and what he I definitely knew he was the pioneer. You know what I mean? Um, but I didn't appreciate who he was and what he was doing until much later when I read about him and, and watched reruns and began to like absorb who he was. He was and like the he... model, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, both on and off the screen, he was such an enigma. That again, I didn't just have I didn't have a sophisticated mind for that. But then here mm. comes Letterman again, throwing stuff off of roofs and uh, making fun of his guests as much as plugging their stuff, and that really appealed to my you know adolescent angsty, you know. Yeah, Letterman was a really good thing to like kind of come like you know sixth, seventh, eighth grade type oh, area. Yeah. Like I mean, his 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 uh, sense of humor really kind of appealed to like a young boy. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then Conan coming from the right. Simpsons and stuff like that was like a living cartoon character. Totally. Yeah. So he offered that real goofy slapstick mm-hmm. angle, whereas Letterman was like a, a more intellectual um, a subversive type. So yeah, it was, those two guys, if they had followed one another on a network, mm-hmm. that would have been a powerhouse. That's, but, uh, that's some late staying up late, you know? What yeah. I mean? Oh yeah. 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 But I did every night. And totally. as a result, like I would come home from school and uh, nap from like four to five from like four to dinner time. And then I uh, hang out with my friends after dinner. And then, uh, yeah, it was straight to like Letterman, nice. Snyder, Conan flipping back and forth. Even John Stewart's late night talk show, pre daily show. Um, that lasted for about nine months. I was all in on that. Um, David, I, I saw David tell for the first time on, oh, wow. uh, on that show. And so, yeah, I just started developing, like, a love of late night and stand-up and stuff. And um, and in, in college, that stuff went with me to California. It was all still there. Um, I saw a couple of tapings of Craig Ferguson uh, the last few years I lived there, and that was nice. really thrilling. Um, uh, one of my last nights in California, I uh, played hooky from work. Uh-huh. I had already turned in my notice. What are they going to do, fire me? So I, <laughs> I played hooky from work, drove the company car to uh, the CBS studio, and saw a taping of Ferguson... And then as I was walking out, um, I saw a flyer for like an Andy Kaufman memorial show. And so I walked into that and it was um, oh, wow. Bob Zamuda dressed up as Tony Clifton performing. And then I just just kept lingering. I was just like loitering around and ended so up. So that like, was happening at the studio then, right? Um, across the, oh, street, across the street at that okay. um, like black and white movie theater that's okay. there. Oh, sure. Um, they play vintage films. Is that Fairfax? Yeah. Anyway, that's I think yeah. that's. Quick non sequitur. That's where the room premiered, I think. Oh, is that Actually, right? Yes. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so you have this idea, like you, you, you hear these old ladies. Oh yeah. Chatting no, now I'm just talking about the school. So yeah, all of that accumulates to I would like to do something here in the valley to answer to let this people question. know that there's all yeah. kinds of cool shit. There to do. is culture, goddammit. So right. uh, I talked to a few friends, and there had been late night talk shows in the valley before. There was a thing called Grand Avenue, uh, Grand Avenue Live. Yes. On Grand uh, Avenue. Still- the meta had, I think it maybe just ended. Anyway, well, it was it ended before I started my show. Oh, it did okay because I, I'm basically the spiritual successor of that show. Oh, okay, oh, cool. I had been a guest on it, uh, and so Grand Avenue Live, right? That's what. It's, yep. Was um, who's it, they had a few hosts? Kevin I mean, Patterson, Kevin Patterson, Ernesto yeah. Mancada. Yeah. Um, I was a guest when Ernesto hosted, and that was at the Firehouse, right? Um, or did trunk they do space. It, did they do it at the trunk space? They did it at the okay. trunk space. At least when I when I was on, they've and, done it a couple places, but yeah. they mainly did it at the trunk space. Yeah, I think it okay. floated around. But it was basically, I would liken it more to a, a James Corden nowadays, where it was like the the host would have a real sketch or... colloquial conversation okay. with the guest. Maybe all the guests at the same time. Yeah, there'd be sketches. But he did a monologue. He came out and delivered a monologue, and uh, I was really impressed by that. And 
in its absence and with this motivation that these two ladies gave me, I was like, okay, I just want to pick up that torch and run. But I'm not as avant-garde as all that. I want okay. something, uh, you know, that Carson thing, the, the classiness right. of that, you know, the... The uh, the suits, the ties, I like that. Yes, and you and you wear a suit. I do. Well, you know, you, yes. <laughs> I wear a suit. Not jacket. right now, but yes. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I sleep in it just to absorb the. And the f- and the set is, <laughs> and the set is obviously kind of like your standard um, Tonight Show type sketch. Yeah, uh, you got found, the desk. You found got a great the desk couch. in Goodwill. Yep. <laughs> yes, I and, went on a couch shopping expedition too. But when we were standing there in the lobby at Space Fifty Five, where we where we film it, uh, I was like, God, we just need a nice couch, one that kind of looks like this one. It's got, you know, I like this orange retro vibe. Okay, we're just going to use this couch. <laughs> That's basically what happened. <laughs> and the folks at Space Fifty Five were happy to oblige. Oh, right? absolutely, better that than me lugging a, a couch there every, every month. freaking <laughs> yeah. So you do the show every month. Is the it... next episode is uh, February eleventh. Yeah, yes, the second Saturday is, of this one. Okay. And who's going to be on the show this coming This month, show? we have uh, wrestler and podcaster Dom the Bomb Vitali. His podcast is called uh, Nothing to Prove. Um, I have Tommy Cannon. Who Tommy is a, Cannon, who is a, a friend of mine as well. Yep. He draws my comic book and I've known him for a number of years. Really funny guy. Is oh, he going to just, what's great. he going to do? Because you never know wants. with Tommy, you know what I mean? <laughs> he I could do puppeteering, he could talk he about could. comic work, he could do he improv hosted, comedy. He hosted, uh, we did a, there was a puppet jam about three years ago at the con. Sure. And the crowd was great, and he hosted it. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen anybody do, you know what I mean? Like, he fucking, he had the crowd in the palm of his hands. He was amazing. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of never know, do you have something set for him to do for the show? Or? We'll do a little pre-interview this week, but I just knew he could, he was capable of anything. Whatever. And it's been kind of building for a couple of months. Are you free? Are you free? And because he's so busy, he hadn't right. been free. This month he is. So uh, I got Cool. Him. Yeah, it's going to be cool. And then cosplayer uh, Jacqueline Renee, who uh, has some amazing costumes she wears at Comic-Cons. Um, I met her while she was, um, actually the second time I saw her, she was wearing these wings that had like a six foot wing, she had like a six foot wingspan in these wings, and she was hot girl, and these, they were like handmade. Is she a professional costume designer too? She should be. She should be, right? Yeah, it's pretty incredible the stuff she puts together, buying stuff online, or going to Michael's or Joanne's Fabrics or whatever, and uh, folks have um, their own idea of cosplayers. And I wanted to have one on, and she's a friend of mine, so it was just natural. Just to talk about the process and how normal they are. They're normal people that like to dress up as abnormal characters and creatures. But generally speaking, they're just creative types like the rest of us, you know? So uh, (laughs) I wanted to have one on for a while. And yeah, this show kind of is the perfect... uh, It's a nice, like, start... It's a nice end of the first full year of shows. Mm -hmm. Because it's the 12th episode, and... uh, it's kind of everything I've been building to. Of course, it incorporates that comic culture that's a part of my life, but it also has that variety that anybody looking for something to do in the Valley could come to the show. And one, the show in and of itself is the thing to do. But then when you leave, these guys have all plugged places they're going to be. Yeah, yeah they're think, what are they doing next? And then you could go follow any one of them. So if you're into wrestling, for example, Dom will probably tell you when his next match is or when those events are happening in the Valley. Go to that. If you're into improv comedy or puppetry, Tommy will tell you about that. Jacqueline will tell you about cosplaying or where to like get started with the uh, you know the the aesthetic of building a costume. It's totally different stuff. Yeah, all in one show. Totally. And uh, on top of that, I perform a monologue and do some comedy m- myself. Right. So 
As you can tell, I'm, I'm hilarious, clearly. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you also, um, did you, do you do stand-up? Have you done I have. Locally? I've done a, okay. Yeah, I've done a few uh, a few open mics. It's kind of like the show for you is kind of like a good way to kind of like use all your tools from the tool belt kind of thing. It Absolutely. Like, you know? Yeah, some of the comedy relies on uh, visuals or graphics. Right. So uh, I get to be artistic or recruit other friends that are artistic to contribute yeah. to that. You know, like the old uh, bits where Letterman would hold up... Uh, a graphic or something like that or have a thing like rejected Christmas toys or ads from the paper or whatever. So we, we do that kind of thing. And um, you have a musical guest? This month, no. Okay. Um, but we have had guests in the past. Okay. Uh, great ones, too. What would be like, what was who, who did you have on that? Oh, show? my gosh. We've had quite a few great ones. The first one was Serene Dominic, probably one of my oh, favorite yeah. um, singer, songwriter, performers in the Valley. But we've had other bands. Mr. Incommunicado was on. Um, rapper Blaine Coffee. What about on. like like what are some have been some of your past hosts? Uh, or not hosts, uh, guests. Oh, those are all from the past. Those are all musical okay. guests that we. No, had. but I mean just guests on the couch. Oh, on the couch, we've had uh, comics writer Brian Augustine. Um, we talked about uh, the Flash and Justice League and and his work in uh, in comics. Uh, Bruce St. James from KTAR. Uh, I listened to him on talk radio How every did that day. Go? Nice it was right? great. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. And he dro- you know, he dropped so many names. We had to sweep <laughs> him up afterward, man. He was talking about I think it was right after Prince had passed. Mm. And he had an anecdote about being at Prince's house. So, we talked about that. It was very late night anecdote driven. It was very cool. Awesome. Um, you've been a guest, which was great. First yes. episode, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Like, you know, it's I, I like that, you know, just the fact that it's even out there. You're promoting folks that, you know, are making phoenix what it is you know sure thank you that's a beautiful thing you know and there are more i mean you guys were just dropping names earlier of guests you've had on this podcast or others and i'm blown away but the some of those folks live here in town we just don't know until we get out there uh who we have in our own backyard that it not only um, will entertain alongside us at shows like that Mm -hmm. but that have entertained us right forever like mike watkiss is a reporter on channel three and he's a real like exploitive reporter kind of a guy and I saw him at a Comic-Con a couple of times, um, just doing his, you know, man on the street, let me get some B-roll at Comic-Con kind of a thing. And uh, I asked, just a fluke, I was like, I'll ask him to be a guest. And uh, he agreed, he came on, and as he was talking about his history in television, he mentioned being on A Current Affair. Oh, wow. And it suddenly bubbled to the surface of my mind, memories of watching him with my parents in the 80s in wow. Connecticut. Uh, crazy like, I'm like yeah you're on a current affair <laughs> the, like the logo came to mind and all this stuff started coming back and it was like oh my gosh you entertained me when I was a kid and now here we are together it was very very yeah, weird very surreal. cool yeah definitely and he was so nice and uh, has become a friend and it, yeah very oh, cool, cool experience so yeah cool. there's one question I kind of ask everybody on this show this show is about like very Phoenix centric like like your show um, Phoenix has grown culturally Population-wise, across the board, really, since you were in high school or whatever, even Absolutely, younger, you yeah. know, what is the Phoenix of like 10, 20 years from now for you? The Phoenix of 10, 20 years from now, um, we need way more vegan gastro pubs. I think that is... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they're not opening fast enough around town. Yes, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, because they are. Um, the 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 Phoenix 10, 20 years from now, I think would look. Uh, just by way of a, a culture, a lot more like the one that exists now, but the stuff we dub subversive, and I think the stuff we do is in that category, DIY, grassroots, whatever term you want to use for it, that would be uh, s- enough mainstream without being 
sold out or commercial, quote unquote, that those ladies sitting at that coffee shop don't have to ask themselves that question anymore. I guess that's the best way to just kind of put a bow on it is the Phoenix 10, 20 years from now would not have folks aimlessly looking for something to do on any given night, even weekday nights, because we know there are already a lot of things to do and it just needs to get out there. Mm -hmm. And I think artists should value that what they're doing is important. Uh, oftentimes there's this fledgling tone of, oh, I'm just making a, a little zine or I'm going to make a little podcast and I only have three followers or forget it. Live the secret. Pretend you're the, the hottest shit in town and get out there and, and make sure people are smelling you. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the idea of taking the ownership mm -hmm. um, and not waiting for your peers or the scene's approval. Just do it. Um, but the more people we have doing what they love, getting paid for it in this city, this, this, the city is just going to be that much more uh, um, culturally rich. You absolutely. Know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know? If as many people were making comics as possible, somebody would eventually find mine because they bought somebody else's. Exactly. And they were introduced to this uh, new branch of comics that they had never experienced before, the DIY independent comic made here in Phoenix. I love that. And so I... I it, I love that other people are making comics just like me. It's what got me started, and it's really what keeps me going. No, I mean, thank you to, you know, contributing to that landscape, you know? Sure. <laughs> well, my pleasure. And, <laughs> and uh, thank you for being on the show. Hey, thanks it's for having me. It's good to have you. I, re I really appreciate it. Thank you. So one last time, one last time we'll do, uh, you've got um, Phoenix, Phoenix, Phoenix tonight. tonight is... every, every second Saturday. The next one is February 11th. I think the one after that is March 11th, whatever that Saturday is. Um, in March, we're having a band on called uh, Sex Lasagna. It's an all-girl, uh, apparently. That's um, hot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then after that, we're going to have a Masturbation Tortellini. But uh, no, it's Yeah, Sex right? Lasagna. It's very Italian. <laughs> um, no, so Phoenix Tonight is every second Saturday. And then my mini-comic can be found on Instagram at AmazingAZComics or online at AmazingArizonaComics.com. Those are the plugs. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I can't help but see myself in what Russ is doing. It's like we're opposite sides of the same mirror or something. Phoenix Tonight and On the Grid are basically the same things, just different mediums. He's promoting Phoenix and its people via a late night talk show, and I'm doing the same thing through the medium of podcast. Add to those similarities, we both grew up in the West Valley, and we both made treks to the now defunct coffee plantation on Mill Avenue in high school. We both moved to Southern California and then moved back to Arizona. We both produce our own comic books, and we both cringe when we hear people say that there's nothing to do in this city. So, we're both here to say, don't say that. Because if there's any endgame to what we're doing with this podcast, I hope it's that you can come away with something new to experience in Phoenix. If you'd like to reach us, we can be found at onthegridphx.com or email us at onthegridphx at gmail.com. On the Grid is produced by Chris Ayers. Intro music was performed by local band Factories. They can be reached at factoriesmusic.com. And by the way, sticking with our theme of local, we feature local bands on each episode of our podcast. 
In honor of Phoenix tonight, we will end this show with a song from Serene Dominic, Russ's first musical guest. And don't forget to check out Phoenix tonight this Saturday, February 11th at 10.30 p.m. at Space 55, 636 East Pierce Street in downtown Phoenix. And once again, folks, thank you so very much for joining us on our 12th episode of On the Grid. Oh.